All right, and welcome to the show. This upload is coming to you October 26, 2016. And you're listening to the Post Money Plan Podcast. This episode will be talking about digital currencies. As a reminder, our panel includes myself, Dallas Post, the founder of the Post Money Plan, Tom Dickens, an insurance underwriter, Stephen Ngao, a fund manager for a university, and Abel Said, a financial analyst for a telecommunications company. Last week in part one, we discussed the initial questions. We discussed what digital currencies are, why digital currencies have come to prominence in the last few years, how digital currencies work, and how they're currently regulated. This week, we'll be picking up where we left off. We're discussing the pros and cons, what the most popular digital currencies are, recent developments among digital currencies, and what the future and prospects look like for digital currencies. So let's jump right into it. Uh, sure, I'll go. So most of the time when you're doing international trade, purchasing goods from other people hurts your economy in the long run. You're exchanging your currency, which is your money, for like wood or steel or resources. So like if I'm a Canadian, I'm trading lumber to the U.S., the U.S. is giving, they're losing money that's coming out of their economy and going into mine, and they're taking wood in exchange, something that grows in the dirt. Well, argue, so, arguably, you could say you're getting a real asset for some fiat paper that isn't actually worth anything. But if you're going to take that, it's a store of wealth, right? Like, if you have the confidence in the fiat, like, it's a store of wealth, there's already that confidence established, then the country is losing that wealth when they're purchasing from another country. I'm making a general point, like, when you purchase something from another country, that country gets richer, your country gets poorer, in a wealth sense. And then, but when you sell to another country, your country gets richer, and the other country gets poorer. They're exchanging you wealth for that good. I'm just establishing this concept, because when you go to the what we were talking about earlier with digital, like, if, let's say, all these other countries around the world decide to use digital currency, and a country like China decides to just use domestic currency, if people want those Chinese goods and services, they're able to buy them cheaper. And in other words, they're able to exchange those Bitcoins or those digital currency for like a relatively large amount of Chinese currency. And they're able to get Chinese goods cheaply, which is basically what happens right now. They're still going to make that exchange, you know, and China's still going to make that exchange because they're going to become richer because they have to have their currency purchased in order to trade the goods. Sure. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily market, put them at a super disadvantage because they can peg their currency versus the digital currency to what they want in terms of what their labor's worth. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing is, if people lose faith in the fiat and they switch to digital currency, like an open source digital currency that has no regulation, a free market digital currency, and then everybody just starts trading through those currencies and the government isn't able to regulate it, this is where I think people who got in early will really get rich, right? Because this will change the world, basically. You'll have a true free market because the regulation of currency is the true regulation of a complete free market. And this would cause industrial activity likes we haven't seen since about 1840. And it would be quite a revolution. But this is kind of what I'm worried about. Like, I don't think that world governments will let this happen, which is one of the risks in investing in it. And you can't pay your taxes in it, right? They're going to come and be like, hey, you own this house. You're going to jail unless you give me some money for it. And if your entire wealth is in a digital currency and you're unable to pay your taxes, then you're going to jail. Government is the real issue when it comes to cryptocurrencies, in my opinion, because they are the ones that decide whether or not, A, they're illegal, or B, if you trade them, they decide whether they want to punish you for not giving them a cut. Yeah, but I think if you have a if you have a progressive government, that should count for something because they are a big concern. If if government is apprehensive to adapt to this new technology, 
it's eventually going to come in, in some other form of a way. So I think if you have a progressive government that's proactive, and, but at the same time, it's kind of like a double-edged sword because there's always incentives for everyone, right? Since we, we're all talking about economics here, it's like what's the incentive for government to be proactive? Is it to make sure that we can have things more efficient or is it to make sure that they can be more control? Those are piercing questions. Government's incentive is that they don't want you to perform any service or trade any good without them taking a piece. Yeah, that's they want their to control money supply. That's their business model. Yeah. The government makes no, they have no other way of making money other than forcefully making you pay them every time you work, every time you generate something. They have to demand a piece of it. And their incentive, their pure incentive would be to disallow any sort of free market currency like this to engage in activity that they would not know about. No government is going to support that because that would be the end of them. This is kind of one of the reasons why digital currencies are on the rise, though, is because there's no way any individual can control the money supply on the digital currency. It's essentially worth what the market says it's worth. So it's a free market currency. There's no government governing body that controls it. From a social perspective, that could catch wave to a lot of people who are maybe not like up to speed on like the nuances of economics, but if it's something where it's easy and convenient for them to use, then they'll catch fire and it has a strong potential to be viral and change the landscape of payment transactions in general. I've talked to Dallas about this, how I you know I've interest in cryptocurrency and moving money from my bank account and into, you know, buying this currency because I think there's just much more control over it. I mean, there's no middleman, no banks that control my money anymore. I'd have complete payment freedom with it. There wouldn't be, you know, risk of any fraudulent activity or identity theft just because there's less personal information like involved with, you know, those kind of transactions using cryptocurrency. There's less fees because you're not dealing with the banks. There's fewer risks on the merchant side, I think, as well, because, I mean, again, there's no less chance of fraud. And I think it's just the control that you have with cryptocurrency on a personal level. It's going to be a big draw. This is a big thing about it is that, you know, a lot of people equate the free market currency that is cryptocurrency much to the way that the internet became almost like a free market of information, right? Yeah, like, pretty much. Suddenly all the doors are open. You don't have a government that tells you what you are or are not allowed to purchase with your money. They don't monitor what you purchase with your money. Because it's secure, it's cryptographically secure, right? So they can't, you know, control and manipulate technology that exists, which I think yeah. is a good thing. No single country like technology itself is safe and secure. And it doesn't matter if you live in China or if you live in America or if you live in Sweden or if you live in, you know, Africa. Your human work input, if you were to build a computer program, your computer program isn't worth less because you built it in a country where your currency is worth less. Your work is equated. It doesn't matter what country you come from. The market decides how much that work is worth based on what that currency is worth in the open market, right? So yeah, it's that's an a experiment good point. with free market currency, which we've never seen before. I mean, it could, if it takes off, it could quite literally change the world. It can actually be cheaper to settle transactions than debit cards or wire transfers, for example. You have yeah. a lot of like administrative work out the process. And I, I think when I said eliminating banks, I mean, you're essentially eliminating those kind of fees still with like, you know, middle man. Yeah, the need for the third party settlement of transactions. But like Tom was saying, the big drawbacks right now is is not commonly accepted yet. Governments won't accept it. It doesn't have a long track record yet, so there's still a lot of a lot of scandals and scandals. Issues. There's the the theft potential in terms of like anything electronic. 
there's that theft potential where anyone in the world could theoretically somehow obtain access to your digital wallet in a way that physically they would have to come and break into your house or your bank or whatever, which, you know, at least puts some physical restrictions that digital currencies don't have. There is a huge, huge drawback. And the reason why I'm not personally investing in it, that is because of government, basically. You can't pay your taxes with Bitcoin. That's the number one problem with it. You know, I was just reading an article, actually. It talked about government could be one of the biggest customers or biggest uh, game changers for cryptocurrencies. Because when you think of things like land registry in places where technology isn't ubiquitous, like places in Africa where real estate or in India, I was reading an article in The Economist where they talked about real estate ownership in, in places like India or Kenya, where you have people who own land. They probably own land for generations, right? Maybe through their great-grandfather and it was passed down. But the courts or the local municipalities didn't have the efficient technologies to update their records. So if they wanted to sell their property, <laughs> sometimes there wasn't really proof that it was theirs in the first place. So that's something where I think blockchain has a lot of potential. And I was also reading recently Estonia, which is, which is actually pretty interesting. Estonia has a few blockchain initiatives going where they have this e-residency program where anyone in the world can register to be a citizen of Estonia. And so once you register, you get like a digital identification card, the cryptographic key, and you can use that key to sign documents, open bank accounts. Or they have e-banking as well. And also they want to launch a storage of medical records to effectively track down who's reviewed people's files and things of that nature. So one thing that they're really focused on is increasing their government's revenue stream. So I think that's pretty revolutionary. Is you kind of like open your doors to let anybody be a virtual citizen. So I don't, I don't doubt the government would love the tracking aspect of it. <laughs> yeah. But it's yeah. the whole freedom market thing that they're not so stoked about. The fact that people could be making transactions and not be paying taxes with those transactions is something they are going to be keeping a watchful eye on for sure. So I think the big thing, like you were saying, is just having trust in currency where you don't have, you know, any physical, there's no physical manifestation of it in your hand, you know, it's just online. And then right now with, you know, all the hacker issues, there's such a mistrust, I think, of the internet in general and having, you know, doing transactions online, putting information online. So I think that's going to be a huge hurdle to clear. It's getting people to trust taking their money. Because I guess banks create this false sense of security where you know your money is in a location. But of course, that's, you know, misconstrued. But I mean, I like really with thinking of cash versus the new school thinking of having your money in an algorithm. Yeah, it's certainly like much more difficult to rob your money from a bank than it is to rob your money from some like shady Bitcoin exchange, right? Yeah, at least that's what people think, right? Yeah. It's probably safer. If, if one-third of the world was like that, the main character in Mr. Robot, everybody's bank account would be hacked. <laughs> you know, we, really with many technologies, in the early adoption phase, there's a lot of growing pains and there can be scandals or incidents or things like that. I mean, even if you look at like the stock market as a, a proxy for adoption, where in the U.S., kind of as a world leader in terms of the market development in modern times, there have been various scandals along the way, like in the late 90s with, you know, like stock-based compensation and accounting fraud and stuff like that. And then the market goes through a shock, but, you know, then things get put in place to correct for that. And, and then the market moves on and, and kind of knows how to adapt. And so you'll have the same kind of thing with digital currencies along the way. Yeah, I think that that's like a, a, one, a one strong uh, aspect that I, I'm continuously analyzing is 
automation of uh, reconciliation, you know, like those little nuances that people don't really pick. I mean, from my perspective, like every day I, I work at a, an institution where we have to reconcile like a list of, of different financial activities. And sometimes it gets hard to trace different things because, you know, from all the paper pushing that goes on and turnover in certain positions. So certain problems get swept under the rug. And so if you don't have like the right processes, like say a certain type of automated processes to help reconcile, to kind of fill in the gaps, then you can kind of have like these continuance of these 20th century problems. So I think that if we can find a way to use digital currencies to help reconcile transactions more effectively, that'd be great. But I think you guys touched upon earlier is giving government a certain amount of oversight to see which transactions are being conducted so that they can take their cut respectively. That's going to be a, a, a challenging argument. Also, like, Internet of Things, like, the more things become, quote-unquote, online, it's kind of like, we, we won't really have a choice of having a digital currency. It'll just be known as currency to future generations. I mean, the thing that's almost glamorous about digital currency, if it were to ever blow up to a level like this, is that governments, as we know it, would no longer really have power over people anymore if they are able to trade goods and services off the grid in all aspects. I mean, government really is the problem. I was sort of listing the, like, number one, you don't know which one to pick. Number two is that there's a scandal, history of some scandal with it. But number three, truly, and this is the most important one, is this, like, government involvement is so unpredictable with cryptocurrency. They had a discussion in Congress, I think, about two years ago, where they were discussing whether or not to make it illegal in the United States because of the Silk Road thing. Thank God they ruled that they thought that there was some industry value in not making it illegal. But to me, this is already showing extremely volatile signs. But more than that, you cannot pay your taxes in cryptocurrency. I mean, I'll give you an example of when a digital currency really would become into its own. This is a pretty bleak example, but if there were to be some kind of a revolution against the government, and you still want to trade goods and services, but you're now disassociating from your governing body, you right. can use a cryptocurrency to still trade while you're fighting your revolution or trying to overthrow your government. This is kind of how I think if cryptocurrencies ever do become mainstream, this is kind of the way they're going to become mainstream. There's no yeah. advantage to using a cryptocurrency over a fiat currency if they're regulated the same. The fiat currency is just better. It's better because you can pay your taxes with it. It's more accepted. You can trade between other currencies, so you can make money off other currencies and all that other stuff. There's just more advantages to having a fiat in this current system than there is to having a Bitcoin. And that's especially true if a Bitcoin becomes regulated. Well, another concern I just thought of is censorship of the internet in these third world countries. How would that be affecting, would that be an impediment to the cryptocurrency speaking up in these places where the potential for government to not interfere with the currency itself, but just the internet in general? Could that be a huge issue, do you think? Well, it, it may or may not be interconnected. You know, a government that's trying to regulate the internet may also want to regulate currency supply. So, but they might try doing that through the internet instead of just you know broad-based tactics where it's not specifying currency, just internet usage. Yeah, that's true. Actually, they could just shut. They could just shut the whole thing down, right? That's what I mean. Like, I don't think I don't really see a way a digital currency can become a mainstream thing, like in a sense where it would ever take over our current system without bloodshed or some kind of hurt. Bitcoin came to existence in the first place because of uh, what was going on in like 2008. Yeah, right? So what I think is potential is potential to change the world. Much like the internet changed the world, the world of information has changed the world of trade and the world of currency. To reach the same impact, I think it's going to take uh, something a bit bigger than 2008.
2008 was a scratch. Yeah, it's yeah. It a scratch of what's to come. Because right now, money printing has been going on for almost a decade now. Inflation, although the government reports otherwise, is quite rampant and it's not slowing down. Living costs are going up. Like, it's just, it's out of control now. And digital currency might just be the answer, right? But I think there's going to be a big event to get there. I think in terms of investing in digital currencies, I always approach them the same way I kind of approach gold. I think it's something that develops a very large value when there's turbulent political times. If there's any kind of hints that there will be a breakdown of our fiat currency, like our fiat currency will fail, anything that points to that sort of sign, any political indicator or economic indicator that points towards failure in the fiat currency is a nudge towards Bitcoin. Or even war risk, for example. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Anything that threatens sort of like the established what we're using right now. If there's anything that threatens that, then I would say digital currencies would become much more attractive as an investment, which is probably why they do actually get more interest when financial crises and political crises start to come more more on the radar. Like I said, like, okay, I guess I'll just get into it. Like the drawbacks of digital currencies, number one is choosing which one, right? Right now, Bitcoin is the one that everybody talks about, but there's hundreds, thousands of different cryptocurrencies, right? You could start one up in your garage right now if you wanted. Uh, we didn't quite cover this yet in terms of what the most popular digital currencies are and some things about them. So the, the website to check out is coinmarketcap.com. It's got all the cryptocurrency stuff on there. Obviously, Bitcoin is like the one that people have heard of. It's, it's the biggest one. It has a more of a track record. It was started in 2009. It's got about a little over a $10 billion market cap and over 80% market share for digital currencies. Uh, the next one is Ethereum, which was just started last year, but it already has a billion dollar market cap. And so that's kind of the number two spot in terms of digital currencies. Third is one called Ripple, which started in 2013. And that only has a $280 million market cap. So obviously, it's much smaller than Bitcoin's $10 billion. The one concern with some digital currencies is that Ripple, for example, the blockchains are pre-mined. So the computers are not having to work the same way they are for like Bitcoin, for example. And then the uh, last one I was going to mention was Litecoin, which was started in, in 2011. And that one's got a $180 million market cap. There, there's many more, but they're uh, significantly smaller in size. I mean, even Bitcoin is considered small relative to, like I said, it's on the order of Twitter. The whole industry is still in a big growth phase. Currently, Bitcoin has about an 80% share of the market for digital currencies. So it's it's definitely the biggest one. Yeah, but any kind of... For sure, it's going to be like the most accepted one, right? It's just within the cryptocurrency using world, it's the biggest. But that's not like what percentage of that is all the transactions in the world. Right. Yeah, you just got to look at the history of businesses, though. I mean, MySpace had almost 100% market share in the social media economy back in the day, and then that's like non existent now. But the whole uh, users back then was nothing, right? That's what it is now. Total number of users is just. Yeah, but the world changed in, in a way we couldn't predict, right? So Microsoft is the same, right? They had 80% market share at one point, and now they've been taken over by other companies. Imperial Oil, even if you're going way back, had an 80% market share in the oil, U.S. oil industry, and then they uh, that split up as well. Just because something has that kind of a market share now doesn't necessarily guarantee that it's going to be like that forever, especially with a brand new technology like cryptocurrencies. 
Yeah, it's still so new, and it's just like out of like every what million transactions out there, how many are cryptocurrency transactions? Like it's, it's still so. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's still in an early adoption phase. I'm just saying that uh, Bitcoin kind of had the first mover advantage, and that's why it has the market share that it has yeah, now. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, if I had to, I would invest in Bitcoin, right? I wouldn't invest in the other wacky ones. I mean, there's there's like a bunch of like weird sounding ones, but um, yeah, did you buy Ethereum from Ether recently? Yeah, I did. Did you come across Stellar when you're looking at different cryptocurrencies? The only reason why I bring up Stellar is because the founder of Stellar is, uh, he was one of the co-founders of Ripple. They actually had like a falling out. Ripple at the time was deciding on whether to stay non-profit or become a for-profit entity, which I believe now they're for-profit. So one of the co-founders, Jed McCaleb, he left Ripple and started his own thing called Stellar, which is actually interesting because last year, I, about a year ago, I attended the seminar at the Bitcoin Club here on campus. So the founder of Stellar is Jed McCaleb, and he, through his partnerships, he's networked with one of uh, the professors here on campus, who's a big proponent of microfinance, and he's really keen on establishing digital currencies for the sake of uh, microfinance transactions and just that whole realm of internet. But Actually, what, no, that's what, a pretty interesting point, because we'll, ha- we'll have to go into microfinance in a later podcast. Yeah, for sure. But what I wanted to say, Stellar is... They're a nonprofit, but they're more focused on getting uh, like the lesser banked, like the underserved, uh, lower income folks involved. So they do like a lot of international work overseas and trying to get different merchants and different users to their technology. But they're more focused on being a distribution network per se than like an actual replacement of a fiat currency. But I mean, it's interesting. So interestingly, actually, in terms of developments that are going on nowadays, Banks are kind of chomping at the bit to get involved with digital currencies and and create their own because it is kind of a gold rush to it definitely is a gold rush to to be the one with the dominant new currency. So like J P Morgan, Citibank, a bunch of these banks are all trying to develop their own blockchain or other technologies to kind of have their own currency to settle financial transactions. And they're actually trying to pitch it to central banks and governments to do mass implementation on, on a government level. Between that, though, in our current currency, which we already pretty much trade digitally now. My concern on, on that respect would be that if it is centralized, like the whole the whole benefit I see to digital currencies is what we were talking about, the decentralization. Exactly. Yeah. And if they exactly. set it up where it's a, a centralized away, part of it. You need to be able to make transactions off the grid. Yeah, I think it's very important to have cash. It's a prevalent because uh, then that free market, as we know it, is gone. You can't mow someone's lawn without getting twenty bucks and having to pay the government. Basically, the entire shadow economy will be gone, and that's a big part of the economy. And, you know, it's uh, interesting. Delaware just recently announced that they're open to quote-unquote blockchain business. So essentially, any private firm that incorporates in Delaware is allowed to keep track of shareholder rights via the blockchain. Some businesses are starting to accept bitcoins in transactions. They, I mean, even uh, like Microsoft online on some of their stuff, they're trying to accept bitcoins. Do you think that's because it's going to be what it takes to get it more mainstream? Is like the Googles of the world using it? I think where it's really going to take off is what Stephen was talking about in third world areas where banks don't want to get involved, where they don't think it's worth their time or money. And there's a, kind of a gap in the marketplace, and so I oh, think it's like a vacuum. yeah. So so people, if they ha- get phones, but they don't have banks, and the, they might have an interest in digital currencies. Yeah, in other parts of the world, they could definitely see that. 
That's sort of what I was saying, too, about financial institutions breaking down and stuff through financial or political turmoil. That really is, to me, where a digital currency will take off. People are going to want to still trade goods and services. They're going to lose faith in a fiat, especially after the damage that it causes. And then, and then they're not going to trust anybody to have control over money supply anymore. And then the digital currencies will become big. But, you know, like, it's really difficult because you kind of need to know economics to, like, understand what, like, control of money supply is. It's not like people are going to be in the streets holding signs saying, no more control over money supply. Most people don't even really understand that. Yeah. You would think something like that audit the Fed bill that was proposed a little while ago, like, that shouldn't be a big deal to pass. And yet, in terms of, like, government, people are so against it. Like, no, like, we can't audit the Fed. Like, no one questions them. Oh, yeah. Them secretly controlling the power of money creation is for the good of everybody. It's like, what? Really? Because <laughs> it sounds like they could do a lot of harm. Yeah. <laughs> that fell into the wrong hands. Let's just talk about what the future looks like. I think the future is bright for folks or just countries or places in the world where people don't have full access to financial services. I think this would be a very revolutionary way to, to get more people involved. And also just to simply educate them on what finance and economics and things of this nature, how they operate and how they affect their livelihoods. But uh, also just to touch on what Tom said earlier, you're going to have government have this sense of frustration, apprehensiveness with adopting it. Like big economies, bigger economies that have a stronger impact and a stronger say will probably be slightly more apprehensive and maybe want to be more on the controlling side of things. But then I'm also interested in seeing what types of progressive governments would be willing to embrace this new technology. To me, it's not a question of if. It's a question of when and how with digital currency. Like, I think it really is going to be the future, but I think it's going to be almost like a very bloody path to get there, very difficult path to get there. I don't think the transition from fiat to digital is going to happen peacefully. I really don't. Like, I think there's going to be a big, either a big economic crash, a big financial crash, or there's going to be a large-scale war that's going to have to occur in order for people to want to detach from government-controlled fiat and seek an alternative like a free market currency, like a digital currency. I don't really see any other way that that's going to go down like that. This sort of trades to Stephen's comment about the third world, why it's so attractive in the third world, is because they are war countries. They are countries that have had financial disasters. They are countries that can be convinced that government controlling money supply is not the best for the people and that there is an alternative like digital. In my opinion, that's really the only way it's going to blow up. And I think it will blow up because it is an advanced technology and it is an, a technology that promotes freedom and freedom of industry. It's just a matter of when and it's a matter of how to me. I was going to say, in terms of the future, I think software engineers are going to continue to improve the technology and the software behind uh, digital currencies. And that's like more and more efforts going to go to kind of ironing it out over time. And so deficiencies will get improved over time, probably. I also think that there will be further market penetration and adoption as, like Stephen was saying, as it becomes more prevalent in third world countries or where banks are less inclined to operate. Or even in developed economies, just as businesses find that alternative ways of accepting payment increases sales. So that pretty much wraps things up for this podcast. We've covered what the pros and cons of digital currencies are, which are the most popular digital currencies recent developments among digital currencies, and what the future and prospects for digital currencies will look like. 
Thank you for joining us for our discussion. We'll catch you next time on another edition of the Post Money Plan Podcast. 